Amen. Any runners in the room this morning? You got any runners here? Go ahead, raise your hands up. If you do any running at all whatsoever, uh, I know some of you, your only motivation in life is to not run. Like, like your goal in life is to never, ever run again, you know? Do you have any people? That's fine. If you, you know, be proud. Um, how many of you have run the Indy Mini Marathon before? I, we've probably got a lot of those around the room, whether you've done it once or twice or uh, 20 times. We've got some psycho triathletes in the room. I know there's one over here, maybe a couple others that kind of do that crazy nonsense, that marathon stuff. Um, I run. And uh, about four to five mornings a week, I do everything to try and get myself up out of bed around six in the morning because my wife and I try and both run before the kids go up and, and do the three to three and a half mile run. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I hate it. I really do. I hate running. I, I, I mean, when it, when it comes to jogging, I mean, I, I, I don't. I like finishing and being done and knowing that I can go eat and, and all of that good stuff. You know, I do it to stay fit. I, I like the peace and quiet in the morning. It kind of helps get my day started. But I'm going to tell you, I don't really like it when it comes down to it. There are a number of other things that I would choose to do. As we discovered last week, Jonah was a runner, all right, if you, if you would permit that. And as we discovered, you know, he went on a run, but not only a run, he went on a really long run from God. He, he was trying to run away from God. And, and when you think about it, the story of Jonah is really not much different than your story. It's not really that much different than, than even my story. I mean, Jonah ran from God. I've run from God. Let me be real honest in, with you in that. I, I've run from God. I'm guilty of it all the times. You, you've run from God. And some of you are here today, this morning, and you are currently running from God. And you may realize that, or, or maybe by the end of this time together this morning, you'll realize it. Now, how does that play out? You know, what does that look like in your life? Well, it can look like a number of different things. I mean, maybe you grew up going to church, but when, when college hit or when high school ended, I mean, you were done with mom and dad's church. You, know, you were done with mom and dad's rules and, and their house, and so you're out on your own, and you know, you're doing the party scene or whatever, and, and it's what you want, it's, what, it's your choices, it's about what works for you. And, and most of your life since that time has been about God kind of in the rearview mirror. You know, I mean, you, you, you kind of keep him in close, you kind of keep him in check, and you look in the mirror once in a while to make sure he's back there. But you're in charge, you're in control, you've got the wheel. And because you know that, that God any other place in your life is, is like full surrender, I mean, because that's really what it is. I, I mean, most of your life it's been about God in the rearview mirror, but he wants full surrender. That's what he requires of us. Absolute, total, all-out surrender. But, but there's no way in your mind that you're willing to slow down long enough to consider the changes that are going to be required in order to do this full surrender thing. You know, you're just not willing to do it. I'm not willing to do it sometimes. So you run. We all run. You know, some of you here this morning and you're wising up, you're a little older now and you've got the family, you know, you, you've got the children and all these things and, and you've kind of sowed them wild oats for a while, but, but you're wising up for, you know, for good reasons. But maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with some past regret. You know, you've got some consequences of, of decisions from your past that continue to follow you and kind of boil over once in a while. You know, maybe it's a turbulent crisis that you're going right now. Maybe it's a health crisis in your life. I mean, you, you're a runner. It's a part of your past, and you know this, but you're here today, and in your heart you just kind of realize, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of running, but I guess I just don't know how to stop. You know, I think it's so easy to get mixed up into what it, Christianity is and what Christianity isn't. 
Now, we have a hard time getting it right with God because we love the love and the grace idea of God. And we love the forgiveness and we love the heaven peace and all of these things. But it's that full surrender stuff that gets a little annoying. You know, it's an ongoing message of full surrender. And that's what we can't get our minds around. So we're like, God, you can have this portion of my life. You can have this day or you can have this hour or this morning, but the rest of it belongs to me. You can have this, but you can't have this relationship. You can have this part of my life, but you can't have this portion of my money. You can have this segment of my life, but you can't have, you know, this business or whatever. Because God, you know, the real world is completely different than the church world. And I can be one person here on Sundays, but as far as being your person... You know, in the business world and what I'm doing, it just can't happen. This is my part. This is this part of my life. And so you run and we all run. Well, if you are a runner, if you have any history or or any uh, evidence of running in your life, if you've run from God, I, I just want you to know this as we begin this morning. You are surrounded by a room full of runners. We all run from God and do it all the time in my life. We've all been there. Well, again, Josh got us started last week with the book of Jonah, and I hope you're reading along with us. If you haven't, just get started. It'll take you 15 minutes to read all four chapters of the book and just commit to reading it every week, you know, those four chapters of Jonah. But last week we started with Jonah 1. Uh, he kicked us off. Josh did. And most of you know the story. God told the prophet Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, uh, to this great city, this wicked city, and preach against it. Well, Jonah wasn't really into that. And as a prophet of God, evidently he thought he had some vacation time coming or something. And so rather than go to Nineveh, uh, he goes to Joppa. He gets on a boat and he heads for a place called Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God was calling him to go, uh, this, this port off the coast of Spain. And so he ran from God and he ran from God by, by getting on this boat. Well, the storm hit. You know, the boat and the entire crew were, were put in danger, and it didn't take long for the crew to discover that Jonah what was running from, from, from God, you know, that God was ultimately responsible for the storm. And, and seeing that, that God was the great source of the storm and Jonah's rebellion was a reason for why this was happening, you know, Jonah finally took responsibility for the situation, and, and the sailors grabbed him, and, and they threw him overboard. I mean, he went cannonball, you know, in, into the ocean, and... That's where we pick up Jonah chapter two and Jonah two is called the Psalm of Jonah P.S.A.L.M. It's like the book of Psalms. It's a song. It's kind of an outpouring, you know, of his heart. And and these words here in Jonah chapter two aren't necessarily the words that Jonah prayed, you know, over the course of three days, because I'm sure by spending three days in a fish, he prayed a lot of prayers. But I think and, and probably what we realize is that after Jonah was out of the fish, he eventually wrote down kind of his experience in some of these words. And so I think we're more reading an outline uh, of what he prayed uh, and maybe prayed specifically over that time. As we read through Jonah 2 today, and we're going to do it kind of quickly, uh, I've got five quick things to share with you. Uh, five things that Jonah learned about running. Five things for those of you that feel like you are currently running or have run from God. Because maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm tired of running and you're looking towards God for some sort of encouragement or hope today, and I'm praying that you're going to find it. Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. If you're taking notes, the first thing that I want you to write down is this. When you pray, God listens. 
We see that right here in these first two verses, that when you pray, God listens. Now, in October, when we finish up this Jonah series, we're going to spend a few weeks talking about prayer here on Sunday mornings. And I I trust that it'll be a great time for all of us uh, to learn what it means to to be able to pray to God. But give you a head start here this morning. When you pray, God listens. And and he listens. And and he listens to the prayer of the runner. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to. I mean, why would God choose to listen to Jonah? What has Jonah done to deserve, deserve God's attention or ear even in this moment? It's not like he can offer God any evidence for his work. It's not like he can take himself from the belly of the whale at this moment and prove his newfound devotion or love for God. He has nothing to prove in this moment. And so he prays this prayer. God doesn't have to listen, but he does anyways. And maybe that's the way that you feel this morning. You know, because maybe you're here right now and you have nothing to offer God right now. I mean, you've been running. You realize you've been selfish. You've made decisions that cause you to look back to your past and go, what was I thinking? I mean, who, who am I even, you know, that I would be willing, you know, to do something like this? And so you've made these decisions. You've been rejected by everyone. You maybe have lost time or lost friends or lost family, you know, loved ones and marriage, and you have nothing to offer God. And that's Jonah. He's got nothing to offer God. And look at his words again. He says, in my distress, meaning, hey, I brought every bit of this on myself. What did God do? He answered. From the depths of the grave, Jonah said, you listened to my cries. I mean, why would God choose to listen to someone who's been nothing but no God, no God, no God, this is my life, this is my way, these are my choices, nothing but self-centered running from God, why would God listen? The answer, it's the message of the entire Bible. It's the great mission of our church, that even when we fall to the very depths, even when we hit rock bottom, even when we rebel for the 36th time in our life and when we turn back to god he is there he is ready and he is willing to listen he will always hear your cry growing up my dad had this little palm tree that he got in florida my dad's always had this fascination with florida I think it's what keeps him like going every day. It's what gets him up in the morning and allows him to finish his job. He was a letter carrier for the post office for a long time. And so he always came home and talked about this palm tree and how he couldn't wait to get to vacation in Florida. Well, when I was little, I had this cat. And this cat was a really kind of a feisty cat, and this cat liked to play with that palm tree. My dad used to get so mad at the cat for playing with the palm tree. Well, one day, the cat completely destroyed the palm tree. I mean, busted it in half. And as a little kid, I mean, my dad had never been, you know, mean or abusive or anything like that, but I was fearful of his response, you know, when he came home, when he learned that his palm tree had been destroyed. But I mean, come on, it's a palm tree, you know, you know in a little plant or whatever. But, but I, I can remember, even as a child, like the reaction that I didn't expect from him of it is just a tree, you know, it's all right, you know, I'm not going to kill the cat, you know, which I hoped he wouldn't do at the time. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. God's not like you and me. You know, our tendency, I I think our lean is to be these, you kind of get what you deserve kind of people. God's not like that. He's not like that. You know, God hears the prayers of those who run it. And maybe you're at an intersection of your life right now where you're wondering what next. You know, what, where, where can I go? Where can I turn? I've gotten myself into this situation. How will God ever forgive me? How will anyone ever possibly love me? Get this, you have one more option. And it's proven and it's true. 
And that is that God hears the prayer of the runner. And he will take you back. The second thing is this, that God is always in the middle of our circumstances. Verse 3, Jonah says, and I want you to hear the emphasis on this. You, you hurled me into the deep. And he's kind of recounting going into the water now. Into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So who hurled Jonah into the sea? Not the sailors, it was God. God was the one who hurled Jonah into the ocean. God was in the details. He was responsible for the storm. You know, Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel may have forecasted the storm, but God, you know, is behind the storm. It's all God. And here's what you you will discover in time, if you're running or if you have any experience in running, that one day, you know, when, when debt threatens to overtake you, you know, or when your marriage could not get any worse or your kids get any more out of control, One day, when you have some distance from the pain in your life and a renewed relationship with God, that you will be able to look back and say, God, thank you for bringing me through that. Thank you that you were in the middle of all that. I I like Andy Stanley as he preached on this. I love what he said. He says, one day, you know, you will look back on your pain and see that God wasn't paying you back but that he was bringing you back. That even God is willing to use the last two years of a downturn in an economy, that he's willing to use, you know, the the fallout in your mutual fund or a, a layoff or a health crisis or whatever, that God is using that to bring you back to him, that he is in the middle of your circumstances. I had the privilege of hearing from a young mom Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, who was uh, driving by the church and just felt like she needed to stop by and share with me what was going on in her heart and in her life. And I'll be honest, I knew a little bit of her story and I kind of expected the worst. Uh, You know, and as she explained, you know, over the past year, there's been a loss of job and some challenges with money and unexpected pregnancy and some family challenges. Um, and, And it was kind of all coming down, you know, about a year ago. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, you have no idea how God has used the last year of my life, of our life, our family's life, to draw us closer to him. How he has provided over and over in so many different ways that God has worked through it all. Listen, your current situation, the one that you're in right now that you may not understand, the frustrations, those things that cause you to lose your mind, there will come a day when you will be able to look back and say, God, thank you for using that to bring me back, to draw me closer to you. You know, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, some of you are here today and, and God's right place in your life right now is the back seat. You know, and every once in a while, maybe you do church just to kind of make sure to kind of keep God closer or whatever, or, you know, just so you can look up in that mirror and see that he's close, you know, that he's still kind of in the ballpark or whatever. You know, God wants to have a relationship with you. That's what God wants. He wants that personal, close relationship with you. He is saying to you, to me today, what he is showing Jonah, and that he wants to be your father, that God loves you, and that he's willing to go into the middle of your circumstances to bring you back. And he's not some like some angry guy that wants to even the score with you or something. You know, it's like Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And what does he say? A good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. You know, it's like the story that Jesus told where he says, you know, here's what I'm like. I'm like the shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. And when he goes to put them in the pen at night, there are only 99 there. And I'm going to go looking for the lost one until they find their way home. You know, as we see in Jonah, God is in the middle of your circumstances. The third thing is this, God's discipline. 
And at times, God will choose to use discipline in our lives. God's discipline has a purpose. And God will come after us. You know, he's in the details. He's in the circumstances. And because of that, sometimes his discipline isn't gentle. You know, and sometimes God and the circumstances around us are so extreme that they cause us to wonder, you know, what is God even like? Look at Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. A few verses here. Jonah writes, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. He's drowning here. He's recounting that moment when he was drowning in the water. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. How long do you think it took Jonah to tell God he was sorry? I mean, do you really think it took three days inside the fish? How about three seconds, all right, or three minutes in the water, you know, and he's confessing that he's sorry. Now, Jonah repented, but as we see in this chapter, even with his repentance, even with his confession, he still endured several days of incredible pain in the belly of this fish. When God decides to bring you back, you can count on the fact that if he chooses discipline, it will be thorough And at times it will be painful and it will be purposeful. And we see this in the Bible. You know, King David cheated. You know, he cheated with Bathsheba, you know, a woman that wasn't his wife. You know, God forgave him, but a man died because of it. He lost a son. He lost other children. He lost his reputation and eventually his rule over the kingdom. Israel challenged God's faithfulness all the way from Egypt to the promised land. God never let up on his promise that he would eventually get to the promised land, but they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness as a result of some of their painful decisions. Later, Israel rebelled and they were sent into exile for 70 years. Everything mattered. God used these things. As one writer once said, God loves us enough to scar us. Does it mean he loves us any less? It couldn't be further from the truth. but sometimes he will scar us so that we will never forget. You know, that we'll be less likely to wonder. And it's hard to understand this. You know, God's discipline is for our good. It does prove that he loves us. You know, I I think about how this applies to just raising children, raising three children. You know, uh, when it comes to disciplining our three children, uh, my wife and I, we we do spank our kids once in a while. One, they're not perfect, you know, and, and number two, you know, oh, well, don't be all ashamed and shocked now. Oh, man, my pastor, you know, he, he spanks his kids, you know. Uh, so everybody's getting up and leaving. We got some of our band members leaving in the back room right now. So, but, um, you know, we've got this room in our house. It's kind of that front room that really has no purpose. So I don't know if you have one of those in your room or not. It's like, why, why did they just give me a bigger living room? Why'd you give me that room? So we call it the green room. And we do because it's green. We painted it green in there. But like when it comes time to discipline one of our kids, I'll often take them into the green room and shut the doors and we sit down. And we'll talk about it. And it's not for me to go in there because I'm angry and you know, let's see how hard I can spank them or whatever. But we sit down and we talk about what they had just done and how it was, I guess for lack of better words, rebellious. And that there's a spank that usually comes with it. And why do we choose to spank? Because we believe that there needs to be some association between rebellion and and pain and it doesn't always work like that usually you know 10 minutes later we're back dealing again with the same issue but sometimes it works and we hope that it works that's the point your circumstances right now might seem to be more than what you deserve 
but I hope that you can find hope in this, that discipline does have a purpose. You know, and we, we hate it, and you might lose your marriage, and you might lose your job, and the bottom may fall up, but know this. When you turn to God, He will answer, that He is there, that He is in the middle of your circumstances, and I believe with all of my heart that He's just wanting to bring you back. And over time, one day, you will be able to look back at those circumstances and say, thank you, God. Thank you for loving me enough to bring me back. The fourth thing is this. When we run from God, we run from his love. When, when we run, when you run from God, you run from his love. Verse 8, Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit. And if you've got that word in your Bibles, I, I'd encourage you to circle it. Forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, we are all guilty of clinging to worthless idols. Now, an idol is anything, anything at all in your life that takes value or priority over your relationship with God. And I'll tell you right now that we're all guilty of worshiping idols. We do it all the time. And whether it be money or fame or success or, or pleasure or love or a spouse, we cling to worthless idols. And that's what Jonah's saying here. We, we forfeit God's grace. You know, God's grace here is his unconditional love for us, this, this fulfillment that he wants to give to us. And Jonah is basically confessing, saying, you know what, I'm no better than the Ninevites. You know, I'm just as wicked as they are. You know, it, it's been all about me. It's about what I'm focused on and not what God wants. And because of that, Jonah's words are, I am forfeiting the grace and the love that God has made available to me. I've turned my back on it. I've passed on grace to chase these worthless idols. Now, why do we turn to worthless idols? And why do we run from God? You know what I think it is? I think we do it because for some reason we feel that if we completely surrender our lives to God, that we're going to miss out on something that this world has to offer. It's almost like God has this great big secret that if you follow him, you're going to miss out on all of the fun. When, when that couldn't be further from the truth, you know. And so we run and we give our lives to anything that we believe might be able to give us fulfillment. But do you know what we find over time? That when you give yourself to worthless idols, when you give yourself to these other things of this world and you make them priority over God, here's what you eventually find. That fulfillment ain't there. And some of you are know you know when you realize that even now, or or you're going to realize at some point, realize that at some point in your life that that the paycheck or the house or the relationship that if you make that the first priority in your life, you're going to find that the fulfillment it isn't there. And if you're lucky, those regrets or that learning experience will be discovered this side of death, you know, because the Bible says that we will all give an account before God one day. We will all stand before God. But for Jonah, he experienced his greatest regrets on his way to death. So he thought. But God is going to use all of this to bring him back. Verse 9. He says, But I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now this is a moment of discovery for Jonah. It's kind of like this big sigh of, of you know, of disgust. But, but hope, you know, he's saying, I thought I could save myself from the misery. I thought I could save myself from, from unhappiness or from, lo- from loneliness because we do that. You know, we, we, we believe that it's in our control to spare ourselves from those things. But verse 9 is the, temp- the tipping point. You know, Jonah says, but you know what? Salvation comes from God. You know, life, fulfillment, the, the cure for lack of pleasure in my life, the cure for loneliness, the cure of fear, the cure of anxiety, salvation, life, hope comes from God. You know, and Jonah said, why did I run? 
You know, and maybe this morning some of you are realizing that you've just been on this crash course, that this ultra-marathon of sorts of running, looking for answers, seeking significance, pursuing stupid things in the world. What are you trying to save yourself from? Salvation comes from God. Now here's the good news. Last thing, verse number five. <clears throat> God is the God of second chances. And if you need to cross out second and write third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth, you put whatever number you need to in the blank. God is the God of second chances. And when you think about it, God could have squashed Jonah. He didn't need him. God could have have killed him there in that sea, called another prophet to go to Nineveh to complete his work, but he chose Jonah And Jonah discovers right here that God is a God of second chances. Even even though up to this point, Jonah's been out. No God, no God. God in the rear of your mirror, running from God. God wants Jonah to know that he is the God of second chances. Look at that verse, last verse with me. Verse 10. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish after three days, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, which I'm sure wasn't a pleasant experience. Now look over to chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't that awesome? I think it's my favorite verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. All all of Jonah's running leveraged for good. You know, and as we will see next week, Jonah's on his way to Nineveh. I have good news for you this morning. All of the sin, all of the junk, all of the regret, all of the consequences and the running in your life, God can leverage it for the good even right now, if you'll let him. And no matter where you are this morning, no matter how far you've run, I want you to know that you can't outrun God and you can't run outside the boundaries of his love and grace. I think I kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but you know what my favorite part of running is or even running the Indy Mini Marathon? I've run it a few times. It's the finish line. This morning can be your finish line. You can stop running. Let's pray.